ECO Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello, and welcome to Eco Report. For WFHP, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cynthia Roberts. Coming up later in today's feature report, you will get to hear an excerpt from an interview Michael Glab had with Hannah Gregory from Canopy Bloomington. And now for your environmental reports. Mayor Hamilton's office released the following statement regarding a gasoline leak in Bloomington. Early Monday evening, the City of Bloomington Utilities issued a statement regarding hydrocarbon odors coming from the sewage flowing to the Dillman Road Wastewater Treatment Plant. A thorough search was conducted and determined the smell resulted from a release of gasoline fuel into the sanitary and storm sewer near a Marathon gas station located at 1307 West 3rd Street. The large release of gasoline was due to a leak in an underground holding tank or underground piping. The leak has been stopped by removing the fuel from the storage tanks and surrounding area, and cleanup efforts have begun to minimize further impact. The total time needed for a complete cleanup is unknown at this time. Officials are actively monitoring the situation to ensure public safety. There is currently no risk to residents and no cause for alarm. Bloomington Fire Department will make direct contact with residents in the affected area. Sampling by Bloomington Fire Department and Indiana Department of Environmental Management indicate fuel vapor levels are dropping. As reported by Inside Climate News last week, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer held a ceremonial ribbon cutting at the headquarters of Our Next Energy, a battery manufacturing startup in Novi, a Detroit suburb. This is an increasingly common scene as demand for electric vehicles is leading to an expansion of U.S. battery manufacturing on a scale so large that it's almost difficult to comprehend. Our Next Energy, or ONE, plans to spend $1.6 billion on a new plant in Novi that would employ more than 2,000 people. The company, co-founded by a former Ford engineer, is providing batteries to BMW, among others. But that's not even the biggest battery-related announcement in Michigan this month. Goshen High Tech of China said on October 5th that it will spend $2.3 billion to build a plant that will make some of the components that go into batteries and employ more than 2,300 people in Big Rapids in central Michigan. Bloomberg analysts have been monitoring all of the battery plant announcements and found that North America is in the process of a seven-fold increase in EV batteries by 2030. This 2030 figure includes more than two dozen plants. One is planned for Indiana in Kokomo. 
A few of them are already operating, but most are either under construction or are in some stage of pre-construction planning. The Indiana Department of Environmental Management, item announced round four of the DieselWise Indiana with Volkswagen Diesel Emissions Reduction Act option programs grant funding, which will distribute awards ranging from 50000 to $1 million. Total available funding for this round is $3.5 million. Grant money will be awarded to clean air projects that significantly reduce diesel emissions from non-road vehicles or equipment across Indiana. Item is specifically encouraging potential project partners from southern Indiana due to the lack of applications from this region in the previous rounds of the program, with the hope and intent of realizing meaningful diesel emissions reductions equitably across Indiana. Example projects include installing idle reduction technology on locomotives, replacing diesel-powered switcher locomotives with all-electric locomotives or railcar movers, replacing existing diesel-powered marine engines with new clean diesel-powered engines, and replacing diesel-powered cargo handling equipment with new electric alternatives. Projects from rounds one through three included replacing a diesel-powered switcher locomotive with an all-electric shuttle wagon, replacing two landfill compactors with much newer clean diesel machines, and replacing old diesel-powered terminal tractors with new all-electric alternatives serving the same purpose. These projects will result in notably better air quality for those that live and work around these areas. Public and private entities may submit applications, and the request for proposals deadline is December 16, 2022. Application information can be found at www.idem.in.gov slash airquality slash dieselwise. Polls are taken almost daily as we near the midterm election. Americans list their concerns, Gasoline and groceries are at the top of many lists. Climate change and the fact that we are in an extinction event never make the list of concerns. A new report identifies 70 bird species that are at a tipping point, meaning that their populations have declined so significantly that they could face endangerment or even extinction in the coming years. The list includes the black-footed albatross, Allen's hummingbird, and the greater sage grouse as birds that have lost at least half their populations in the last 50 years and are on track to lose another half in the next 50 years. The State of the Birds report published by the North American Bird Conservation Initiative, a group of 33 government agencies and conservation organizations, says these birds require proactive conservation protections to avoid being listed as endangered. The report also found that more than half of the bird species in the United States are in decline. Species that inhabit grasslands are declining most quickly, while waterfowl, like ducks and geese, are actually increasing, likely because of the investments in conservation funded by the hunting industry, the report says. The water in the Mississippi River has dropped so low that barges are getting stuck leading to expensive dredging and at least one recent traffic jam with more than 2,000 vessels backed up. The Mississippi River Basin produces nearly all, 92%, 
of U.S. agricultural exports and 78% of the global exports of feed grains and soybeans. The recent drought has dropped water levels to alarmingly low levels that are causing shipping delays and seeing the cost of alternative transport, such as rail, rise. In Vicksburg, western Mississippi, residents have seen less than an inch of rain since the start of September. The mayor, George Flags, said that the river was lower than he had seen it in nearly 70 years. It's definitely having an impact on the local economy because the commercial use of this river has almost stopped, Flags said. Last Friday, the U.S. Coast Guard said that there was a backup of more than 2,000 barges at various points, Bloomberg reported. The halted barges were carrying recently harvested corn and soybeans. Quote, When the water gets low enough, commerce starts to slow, commerce is restricted, and it turns into an extremely difficult environment to operate, end quote, Austin Golding, president of Golding Barge Line. Shippers have been forced to limit the amount of cargo, including grain, oil, and rocks, that their barges can carry in order to safely move across the low water levels. Barges have long been considered a sustainable and cost-effective alternative for shippers. A single-hopper barge can haul as much dry cargo as 16 rail cars or 70 trucks, according to the Upper Mississippi Waterway Association. Feeding into the Mississippi at St. Louis is the Missouri River, which has been very low for months. The Yellowstone River, feeding into the Missouri, is also low. The forecast for Wyoming calls for higher temperatures and drier weather. As a result, the Climate Prediction Center anticipates 30% to 40% less precipitation in the far north, including Yellowstone National Park and the Bighorn Basin. The Ohio River, also low, has forced Cairo, Illinois, to switch from river water to wells under the city. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is currently working on deepening the Mississippi River from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, to the Gulf of Mexico. The Florida citrus industry is bruised from years of hardships, but the farmers cultivating America's love of the Sunshine State's orange juice are a resilient bunch. Already challenged with a citrus crop yield at the lowest production level since World War II, growers were dealt another blow after Hurricane Ian passed over the heart of the state's citrus footprint spanning more than 340,000 acres. About 57% of those farmlands saw winds above 74 miles per hour, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Nearly all witnessed winds above 58 miles per hour. Florida is also no stranger to hurricanes and freezes. Many farmers were still recovering from Hurricane Irma in 2017, which inflicted nearly $800 million in initial damages to the citrus industry in the state and destroyed about 60% of the crop yield. The USDA released their initial citrus crop forecast for the 2022-23 season on Wednesday, estimating 28 million boxes, which is down 32% from last season's final utilization. The numbers are staggering compared to the 244 million boxes produced during the industry's peak in 1998. Inside Climate Change reports clean energy is seeing a surge of new development all around the world, according to a series of new reports, with electricity produced from carbon-free wind and solar power helping to fill rising global energy demand. 
but the benefits from the new renewable energy, including its impact on greenhouse gas emissions, are being simultaneously undermined by a rise in new fossil fuel projects coming online. With the COP27 global climate talks just a month away and early indicators suggesting the world is still far off track from meeting the goals of the Paris Agreement, it's the latest reminder that fossil fuels maintain a stubborn grip on the world economy and continue to jeopardize the effort to stave off catastrophic climate change by the end of the century. In fact, to even have a chance of meeting the International Climate Accord's Herculean task of reaching net zero emissions by 2050 to limit average global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, investments in clean energy need to quadruple within the decade, according to a new analysis by Bloomberg. Fossil fuel investments continue to outpace those in renewable energy, the report said, with about 90 cents going into renewable sources for every dollar spent on fossil fuels. The result has been a boom in new clean energy infrastructure that, though impressive, is still struggling to flatten the rising trend of global greenhouse gas emissions. If that trend doesn't change course soon, the cost for governments will only go up officials from the International Monetary Fund, a leading global financial agency with the United Nations, said in another report published this week. Most forecast by climate scientists see a 3 to 5 degree Celsius increase in temperature by 2100. And now please enjoy an excerpt from an interview done by Michael Glab with Hannah Gregory of Canopy Bloomington. Hannah Gregory is in charge of operations Canopy Bloomington has been in existence since uh, the first half of the year 2021, so it's a reasonably new organization. They're concerning themselves with the Canopy here in Bloomington. What are you doing about it? We are aiming to plant and sustainably manage Bloomington's urban forest. Um, So we're starting off with community tree plantings is our big initiative this year and will be our biggest initiative going forward as well. We also aim to help educate homeowners and other folks in Bloomington to cooperatively take care of our urban canopy. And additionally, we're hoping to get kids and um, the youth of Bloomington involved as well. We just had our first run of our Youth Tree Tenders program this past summer, where we hired on four high school-age students, and they helped us take care of trees in Bloomington Switchyard Park. Well, why do we need more trees? Well, in Bloomington specifically, we found that in the 2019 Canopy Assessment Report, we found that Bloomington's losing tree canopy cover especially on private property. So the city themselves is limited in reaching canopy goals because they can't plant on private properties, but that is where we're seeing um, most of the tree canopy decline. So there needs to be an organization like us to bridge property owners and the city so that we can help reach these large canopy goals. We need trees because they help uh, manage stormwater, they provide sound barriers, they can provide food if they're fruit trees. Trees are just a really important natural asset to uh, communities like Bloomington. Now, being a homeowner myself and having a lot of trees, I do know that when a tree gets to a certain age, it comes to be about time to cut that thing down or else it's going to fall right on my roof. 
Is that, is that a wise thing to do? Yeah, so I always recommend having a tree um, be looked at by a certified arborist. Uh, mm-hmm. There are a lot of certified arborists in town. I actually just became a certified arborist two weeks ago. Wow. Um, so there are professional folks that you can have come and look at your tree. Sometimes a tree looks like it needs to come down, but it's a perfectly healthy tree. Um, might just need some trimming. And it generally is more cost effective to manage the tree, so to prune it, um, then have it come down because trees can be really expensive to come down. But that's one of the things. Don't that I know it? Yeah. yeah. Especially those ash trees that are really large. And they were all killed off by the emerald ash borer disease, which hit in uh, around 2012 in Bloomington. Yeah, I remember. I remember when that was coming up. And you couldn't bring firewood into the state parks. For that very reason. Exactly. Yeah, so that the emerald ash borer caused a, a huge t- canopy decline across the Midwest, and Bloomington and the IU's campus is still bouncing back, and they're still seeing uh, the decline of the ash trees, although some are being treated and are bouncing back in health, which is good. How did this whole canopy Bloomington idea get off the ground? Who, who came up with it? So Cheryl Woodhouse, who's a local entrepreneur and business owner or business founder, and Sarah Mincy, who's an urban forest management professor at IU. She also is a managing director for the Environmental Resilience Institute and the Integrated Program of the Environment. They got together and they had um, a similar interest in uh, creating a a organization like Canopy Bloomington to bridge the city's canopy cover goals and also just help grow the uh, canopy in Bloomington and the education around urban forestry in Bloomington. So they got together and they created this organization in early 2021. And then I was the first hire as a forestry director in June of 2021. You were talking about the trees here in the city, and you said there are trees on private land, and so obviously that means there must be trees on Mm city-owned land. Where primarily are the trees on city-owned land? So on city-owned land, there's something called the public right-of-way. So the public right-of-way, it varies, but it generally is 8 to 10 feet off the street um, and into folks' yards. Mm -hmm. So if there's sidewalks, it's that strip of land that's between the sidewalk and the street. And if there's not sidewalks, and this is where it gets a little iffy and a lot of people don't know about the public right-of-way, if you live in city limits, any land that is between 8 and 10 feet off of the road it might look like your property, but it's technically city-owned property, and any tree that falls within that um, is city-managed. And then additionally, park trees, so city-owned parks. So conceivably, the city could come along and cut down that tree for whatever purpose. Yeah. And, you know, you say, hey, that's my tree. <laughs> yeah, um, which can, I guess, can be favorable in some cases if you need a tree to come down because it's really expensive to remove trees. So the city can take care of that for you if it falls on the right-of-way property. But um, the city only ever removes trees is if absolute necessary because they'll have to replace it as well. So, And by replace it, uh, you mean, well, uh, do you plant a seed or do you do you go to a, a, a nursery and find a tree that's already grown? How does that work? So with Canopy Bloomington, we order our trees from Woody Warehouse, which is a native plant nursery based out of Liston, Indiana. They grow, I think, 80% of their trees from native seeds foraged around the Midwest. So they're locally seed grown. We order our stock from there. So we order all native trees. And the trees that we order are between... 
1.25 and 1.5 inches in diameter at breast height, which just means a diameter. Um, and they're generally five to seven feet tall. Now, I understand that that's uh, generally an older tree yes. than might normally be planted. You don't do saplings. Why don't you do saplings? So we don't do saplings because saplings are generally more for planting in natural environments. So you see a lot Uh, of reforestation efforts planting saplings. Saplings have a lower survivability rate. um, So you have to plant more to be able to uh, make up for the ones that are going to die off because they just don't have the same um, oomph that the larger trees have. So we plant larger trees that provide um, immediate benefits. Trees do take time to, you know, provide shade and stormwater management benefits that uh, we know that trees provide once they're large. But by planting a tree that's between five and seven feet tall, you're going to already start creating shade with that tree, and it's going to have a higher survivability rate than uh, planting a sapling. Now, one of the reasons, as we say, that uh, Canopy Bloomington came into being was that Bloomington was losing trees for a million reasons. Yeah. But primarily, what? So it's mostly a combination of a few things. Ah. Development um, is a large one. And then also climate change stressors. So things like the emerald ash borer, which was an invasive pest, which caused a huge decline in ash trees, which are one of the most populated species in Bloomington and in the Midwest. Uh Um, So I would say development, climate change, and just like environmental stress factors in general, urban trees just don't live as long as trees in a natural environment. And um, stressors like soil compaction and stuff, everything that an urban tree deals with just causes it to to decline faster than a tree in a natural setting. Now, you say development, but it would seem to me that if, let's say, you're building a a row of houses, well, the trees are in front of the house. Why do you have to knock the trees down? The development that I guess I'm speaking of is just removing trees from a large swath of land that didn't have or that was consisting highly of trees and Uh then were completely removed to build homes. Because even if those trees are replaced, they're still not going to replace the amount of benefits that like an entire woodlot would be benefiting. Yeah, you bet. Because now there are buildings on that lot. Exactly. And they're just, they're generating heat of their own. Exactly. And carbon dioxide too. Yeah, absolutely. So it's replacing a once permeous surface or permeable surface with an impervious surface like homes and roads and sidewalks. Uh Uh-huh. And we can do with maybe a little bit less of that because these trees, as you say, provide these important environmental services, shall we say. As I say, the tree takes carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, transforms it into oxygen through photosynthesis. I think you know this stuff better than (laughs) I do, but am I... I'm on the right path. Yeah, here, right? absolutely. And with planting trees, as a tree grows, the uh, benefit producing or the 
capacity to produce benefits increases. And it's mostly because of the least leaf surface area. Uh-huh. So the larger the tree grows, the larger the um, canopy or the crown of the tree grows. And then it can intercept more water. So that's how it manages stormwater, um, produces more shade. It can even reduce uh, or improve energy savings of buildings by uh, providing shade and um taking some of the stress off of an air conditioning unit. Uh Um, So yeah, so the larger the tree grows, the more benefits it can provide. For Eco Report, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cynthia Roberts. Here at Eco Report, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming events. Take a Devil's Backbone hike at Charlestown State Park on Friday, November 4th from 10 a.m. to noon. The site is usually not open to the public, but guided tours are available during the winter months and are limited to 12 people per hike. Email jbeven at dnr.in.gov to reserve a space. And the spelling of that is... It's capital J, capital B, E-A-V-I-N at dnr.in.gov. Join the naturalist for an owl prowl hike at the Fairfax State Recreation Area at Monroe Lake on Saturday, November the 5th from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. You will walk through forest and field to learn about the species of owls found in southern Indiana, learn which habitats they prefer and what they sound like. Take a full beaver moon hike at Spring Mill State Park on Saturday, November 5th from 8 to 9 p.m. The hike is one mile long on Trail 5. You will learn the folklore and history of the full beaver moon. Learn how to make a handmade raffia basket at the Raffia Basket Workshop at the Paintown State Recreation Area at Monroe Lake on Sunday, November the 6th from 2 to 3.30 p.m. You will construct a five-inch basket out of natural fibers and learn how to add special touches. Sign up at bit.ly slash raffia2022. Make a wreath out of an invasive plant at Spring Mill State Park on Saturday, November 12th from 11.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Join naturalist Cherie to make a beautiful wreath out of dried Japanese honeysuckle. Learn about invasive plants while creating your wreath. Register at 812-849-3534 or sbelt at dnr.in.gov. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy. Our feature was 
prepared and presented by Michael Glab. Our script today was assembled by Juliana Daly and edited by Patrick Callanan. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Patrick Callanan produced today's show and edited its audio. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cynthia Roberts. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.